Welcome, guys, to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Slarchik. This is a podcast where we tackle hot nursing topics one conversation at a time. Guys, those that are new, welcome. Thank you for coming, listening. You guys will not be disappointed. Those that are returning, thank you guys so much. As always, don't forget to smash the five stars. That's what ranks the podcast and motivates us to give more high-quality content. How are you doing today, Peter? I'm doing great. I just want to introduce our guest for today, guys. Today, we'd like to welcome Camelia Sehat. She's a registered nurse with a biochemistry and public health background. Before bedside nursing, she worked as a research scientist in the Department of Cardiology. Currently, she's an adjunct nursing professor and an active member of the National Ski Patrol and Medical Reserve Corps. How are you doing today, Camelia? Great. How are you guys? We are hanging out, actually, and we're really excited to have you on. And to give you, to give an idea, can you kind of describe like the roles that you had in healthcare and nursing and what are you kind of currently doing? Of course. So thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, and I started out as an OB nurse just because I always loved it. I wanted to do that um, right out of nursing school. And even though my preceptors told me to go for med surge first, I just had this inkling that I just had to do LND. So I did OB where I did postpartum nursery and LND. And then I had, before that position, I had obviously applied to hundreds of jobs out of school. So one of the jobs that I had applied to was a med surge position at the VA Medical Center in LA. And so seven months into my OB rotation, I got a call from HR. I got the job in med surge at the VA. So a year later after I was done with OB, so I did a year, um, I went to the VA to do med surge there. So I did med surge for a year and a half. And on our unit, we also had day surgery opportunities. So I would do pre-op and post-op, which I loved. It was fun. Um, it changed things up for me um, from the routine of med surge. Um, after about the year and a half there, I felt like I kind of have a good handle on things with respect to med surge and I was ready to go to the ED. So I applied, got the position, um, but I was honestly too burnt out and I just couldn't stay there anymore. Um, so I left and with the VA, there's a lot of bureaucratic things that need to be taken into consideration and things take a lot of time. It's kind of like the DMV. I love the VA. I love the patient population. I love helping those people um, because the veterans are just awesome. Um, but I just, I couldn't personally take it anymore because just the number of shifts I was working back to back and the hours that kept switching back and forth. So I left and I became a nursing faculty um, and I loved it because I felt like I was training nursing staff right before they actually get onto the floor to actually do nursing as an RN. And I think that as young nurses, having graduated relatively recently, about six, seven years ago, um, we can have more of an impact on nursing students compared to somebody who's been a nurse for 30 years, you know, and they're kind of set in their ways and they don't remember how it is to be a student. So did nursing faculty, I'm still currently doing that. Um, I also did some home health on the side because again, I missed um, patient care. And we talked about this a little bit before where I, I love taking care of patients. So I did some home health. I also signed up with a place that was doing IV infusions of vitamins, doing B12 shots, things of that sort. I would respond to house calls um, just because I wanted to keep my skills sharp and again, see patients. Um, and that's as far as my that's, a, that's the extent of my nursing. Um, and then right now, I'm currently a director of clinical operations at a private GI group in California. And I'm doing more of an administrative, I have more of an administrative role. 
Um, I love it because I get to see a different aspect of nursing and nursing so so versatile. You can do so many things with it. You can do bedside, you can open up a medical spot, you can do Botox, you can do whatever you like with it. So I'm doing more administrative stuff right now. And um, I also signed up once COVID happened, I signed up to go and help out with a travel assignment. Um, but unfortunately, it got pushed back twice because of low census. So here I am. I was actually supposed to start today, but it's not happening. Um, so I'm currently looking for assignments to go and help out. And once COVID's over, I would love to go back and do bedside nursing as a per diem thing. I don't think it's for me as a full-time. Yeah, nurse is not going to go anywhere. You're going to have <laughs> plenty more years to, to do any kind of nurse that you like. But you mentioned a lot about sure. burnout. So like, how did you deal when you, when you um, started being burnt out? Or how, how did you feel? Like, how did you know you were burnt out? I, I mean, so what's normal after working a three to four to five stretch of shifts is that you're exhausted. You don't want to get off the couch. You just want to veg out. And a lot of people think, oh, nurses work only three days a week. And I really, really hate hearing that because it's not just three days. We're dealing with so much that it's equivalent to probably like six days of somebody working normal eight hour shifts. Um, so I feel like at first I didn't realize it, but I just, I, I mean, I didn't call it burnout. I just kept thinking, why am I so tired? Then I need more coffee. I need more green tea powder and whatever kind of green powder I could get my hands on. <laughs> I was ordering from Amazon and all these health stores. Um, and I realized it's just not helping. And in general, I'm a very, very energetic person. Like I could go a normal 12 hour shift without drinking a, a cup of coffee. And like, it was getting to the point where I needed five to actually like get me going. Um, and I just felt like I'm so emotionally exhausted that, I, that when I would get home to my husband, I just, I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to care for anybody. I didn't even want to get him a cup of tea, you know? And that was a little alarming to me, but like, I felt like I was becoming so uncaring at home. And little by little, I started to dig inside and see what's going on. And I realized that I'm giving so much and not taking care of myself in the sense of literally self-care that now I know about it before I didn't, before I didn't have a balance. It was just like, go, go, go running a marathon every single day when I went to work. Um, so that's like, I realized that now when I call it burnout now, but back then I just didn't know. I was like, I'm so tired. I can't do this anymore. Um, but now I've learned to cope with burnout more and I actually help nursing students and new nurses with burnout as well. It's kind of crazy because we are just coining the word of like nurse burnout. And just like I've mentioned this before in World War, was it the Vietnam War? They didn't coin the word um, PTSD. It took yeah. a little time. It was like battle fatigue syndrome and things like that. So imagine us like this burnout, like right now, just seeing what's going on with COVID. I feel like it's going to be um, PTSD for nurses. Absolutely. Um, and, and, to, and to ask you a question. So it seems like you have to become very self-aware to understand your burnout. Was this before, or after like that 10 day silent uh, retreat that you mentioned? I'm kind of curious where you kind of develop like that awareness, like, Hey, I'm, I'm emotionally drained. It was definitely after the 10 day meditation retreat where I noticed it, but the meditation retreat was way after I had left the VA, but I always okay. had this guilty feeling for leaving the VA because I feel like, Oh, I'm such a terrible nurse that I don't want to do bedside anymore, you know, but it wasn't that because as soon as I started teaching, um, as a clinical instructor and a theory instructor, I realized that I do miss patients and I did go back in the sense of home health and vitamin infusions and things of that sort, but it wasn't the hospital setting, you know? So it took a while for me to realize, 
okay, it's not that I don't want to be a nurse. It's not that I'm a bad nurse. It's just that I need to take care of me in order to be able to take care of others. And that goes for all aspects of life, you know, especially for nurses who take care of so many patients. So it was definitely after the meditation retreat where I became more self-aware and just became okay with kind of selfishly saying, okay, like when I do go back to the hospital or if I do, um, I'm not going to take on nine shifts back to back. You know, I will speak up and I will say something about it because before it was just like, you need me? Sure. I'll be there on my day off. You need me? I'm there. And I feel like if somebody wants to have a long-term nursing career at bedside, they can't do that to themselves. You know, they need to take their days off um, and just enjoy it and rest because they're there for a reason. We need to recover. Usually these nurses that you're talking about, they have guilt. And I've, I noticed it all the time. I came in because I feel bad. Or I feel guilty because our unit is short, you know, and we as nurses, we're such team players because we know that we can't do things alone. Sometimes we need an operating functioning team. And it sucks because you do feel that guilt that you're letting your team down, you know, and Absolutely. I don't think you have an answer of how you, how do you divide that? You know, how do you do self care? But how do you become a team player? It's such an interesting dynamic. And it's like, there's no right or wrong answer. It just depends on how much you can take, you know, just like you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I had that sense of guilt too, you know, and being relatively a new grad starting at the VA, I was like, I want to go help, you know, and you have that fresh blood of like, oh, go, go, go. The nurses who had been there for 30 years, they weren't coming in on their days off because they knew better. That's why they were there for 30 years. And I was there for a year and a half. <laughs> like they had, they had it down. They knew how they need to handle this, but you're yeah, right. Everybody like needs to find their balance. Yeah, it's like a vicious cycle. Like if you can't find that balance, it's like there's like different levels of burnout. Like sometimes you might just get over it within like a day. Maybe you just need a you know, day just to yourself, like do like a me day and, and you're fine. But sometimes the nurses get caught up in work, like especially now with the whole COVID and you got those, those higher paying rates. People, nurses want to work more. But if you look at it like long-term long wise, like this is not going to be sustainable. You're going to come and work for the money and then you're going to be super tired on your days off like you were. Like you're like basically in a vegetative state because you don't feel like doing anything. And that decreases your quality of life. And then after COVID happens, I have to pick up all these shifts. Guess what? You're probably going to hate your job because you've yeah. done so much of it. Instead of working your 36 hours, you're working like, like 48 plus a week. And that's like, that's adding on to your other stress that you do at home. And it's just, it's not healthy. It's not healthy long-term. Short-term, you could do it. Like I've had my, like I did a nine in a row one time, which was completely okay because I don't do it very often. I did it one time and I came out of it feeling great. Like nice paycheck, but would I do it again? Probably not because like the after effects of it were just, just not tolerable. It just, just sucked. Like I was a vegetable. Like I was just like sitting at home. Didn't want to do anything. Like you start to lag joy from things that normally brought to joy. Absolutely. And it's interesting because some people will do that. They'll be one week on one week off to take vacation. And I feel like the younger they are, the more likely they are to be able to sustain that for maybe a couple months. But after that, I've seen people where they're like, oh, I can't wait to go on vacation after this week's over. And then they're so dead that they're like, I canceled my vacation plans. And I'm just like, yeah. so why did you make yourself go through that whole week of work for nothing? You could have divided that into two weeks. Right. So I think people learn over time how they work too, you know? It's an interesting concept because nursing school taught us like, hey, it's the patient, it's not you. Give, 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 give. And then you go to, uh, you start as a new grad, you're just giving, giving, giving. And then it's like, whoop, beep, breaks, hit. I feel like shit. I, I stop giving and then boom, compassion fatigue. And then you have one of those little angry nurses that, you know, I don't want to say just sedate some everybody. Hey, let me get some Ativan. And they have no, yeah. they have like a short temper to their patients. And then the patient has like, you know, poor quality care. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's for like, sure. And if you keep giving and keep taking, like, is that your patients asking you, you know, can I have a water? You come back in a room, can I have this? And they keep asking you one, one thing at a time. It's like, Hey, can you just give me like a, like a damn list of what you want? Because <laughs> yeah. that that's like very like irritating to me. If like these patients ask for one thing at a time, every time I come in, it's always something like tell me these, these things. And the same with management, like management will, will take advantage of you too. Not necessarily on purpose. It's just because like they need staff and they're not, not going to say no for, if, for, for you to pick up. No, they're short staff as it is. Like, yeah, they're going to, they're going to say, yeah. Like, like I might said, you keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. And eventually you hit this wall. And then you're not yourself anymore. People are telling you, uh, you, you change, you know, you don't, you don't call them anymore or, or whatever, whatever the issue is, your personality changes and it's all because of your job. And that's when nurses hate their job. And that's a horrible thing because as nurses, we are supposed to live for our patients and we can't live for our patients if we can't live outside of the patient population, you know? Very true. I, I so think you, it's, go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, that's one thing that I appreciate about like travel nursing is you don't know everybody. You kind of come in there like a lone wolf. You get things done, you help out. So you have that team ethic with among other work coworkers, but you're avoiding the drama of management, everything that's going on. And you're just worrying about yourself. So you're, I feel like as a traveler, I'm a little bit more selfish and that's okay because I'm getting what I want pay wise, like mentally wise. And I get to leave and forget any of that drama with that hospital, you know? So that's pretty cool. So how do you take care of yourself like outside of the hospital, outside of work? Like, what do you do? Of course you, I'm sure you meditate because you went that 10 day retreat. Do you like exercise? Do you do what's like a, like a the day to yourself? What are you doing? So I love spending time outdoors, obviously with COVID now that's a little bit limited. Um, but even now, um, I just wear a mask and I go for walks in nature. I love doing that. It just calms me. It centers me. Um, I listen to podcasts that I resonate with. Um, I'm all about self-growth and self-development. So I listen to a lot of podcasts like that. Um, I read, um, I exercise, I play with my dog. <laughs> um, what else do I do? I watch puppy videos. Puppy videos make me very happy. So when I don't have too much time and I have like a few minutes just to take a little break, I'll watch puppy videos. Um, and I recommend that to anybody and everybody who likes dogs because I feel like it just immediately like makes you feel better. Um, and what else do I do? I watch movies from time to time, hang out with friends when I can, obviously pre-COVID. Um, I go swimming, I snowboard during winter time, and I meditate. Um, I would love to be more disciplined and routined with my meditation um, practice, but I'm not, unfortunately. Um, but that's something that I'm working towards. And I do yoga from time to time. So none of this, it's not something that I can say every single day, I do all of these, you know, depending on what I'm craving or what I'm needing, I just listen to my body. That's, That's really important. I, f I feel like we talk about self-care with everybody, which is cool because people should be learning from other people, their routines and getting ideas for our listeners. But I wanted to kind of wrap around a little bit from what you first mentioned, because you get, you unloaded the first question with like everything that you did. I'm like, I want to pick on a few things. So sure. one of them, one of them is the VA. And I don't, I didn't ask ever anybody that worked at the VA, like, why, why does the VA get such a negative stigma? What is it that they do differently that you said is slow that you don't like from other hospitals you would compare and why are they getting like less quality care? Maybe if that's what's actually happening. So what's like the negative stigma with the VA? I wouldn't say that they're necessarily getting bad care that I, I, I disagree with that. Having been there and having observed the nurses and doctors, I don't think they're getting bad care. Um, I do, however, think that because it's a federal government agency, things have to be run by so many people before you can get an okay. 
Um, so where private practice, or if you work in a medical spa or something of that sort, you just ask your manager, you say one time off and they give it to you. Right. But here it's like, it has to go up this chain of command. And even so from the time I'll, I'll start from the beginning, from the time that I told them I'll start working with you guys to the day that I actually went into the hospital, it was eight and a half months later. Wow. And that is a really long time. So I've, if I did, if I hadn't started in my OB job, I'd be basically waiting um, five months for them to even get back to me and then eight and a half months to actually start. So over a year, right? Um, so it's just, um, it's very much similar to the DMV, I would say. And I don't know exactly how that chain of command works with respect to why things are delayed, but I just feel like there's no sense of urgency, um, especially um, when you're trying to take things up. You know, patient care, sense of urgency. Yes, the nurse calls the doctor, you get the orders, you give the meds, Right. But when you're trying to do other things or um, just change policies, those take a really, really long time. So I was a part of the quality improvement um, group or committee um, and the ethics committee on our floor. And I loved being a part of it because I was gung-ho about making all these awesome changes. And we kept talking about it day in and day out. And I was a part of these committees the entire time I was there. And all the changes we wanted to make were positive yet nothing happened. By the time I left, nothing had happened. So that was another discouraging thing where I thought, I want to work in a place that I actually make a difference um, to make this place better for the patients, for the staff, for everybody who's involved. Um, and I feel like they really don't appreciate their staff and staff meaning any level of nurse that you are. You know, um, For example, like our cafeteria, it wasn't the best. And I'm not talking about the food because food at hospitals is just not that great period. Um, but it's just like, the cleanliness level and like for it to be like when you walk in, be like, okay, well, I'm going to take my break now, you know, or even our break rooms, our break rooms were not appealing whatsoever. Half the time we didn't have time to eat. Um, the other half, we didn't want to eat in the break room, you know, because it wasn't that great. Um, so it's just a combination of things. That's, that's, that's interesting. See, I never heard anybody mention a DMV like that. So I wonder, is it because it's not, you know, nurse driven like some hospitals and that's why shit gets done right so i wonder about that and you said you were like an adjunct teacher so can you tell us a little bit about like nurse education because i don't think we ever touched about it on the podcast and like how you got into it and things of course so when i was working at the va and when i was working as an ob nurse anytime we would get new grad nurses coming i would always volunteer to precept just because i'm all about teaching people and i just i love educating people with the things that i do know just because i feel like I have a bubbly personality and I can be intimidating at times, but I feel like the bubbly personality with like helping somebody, it really helps ease the nerves, you know, because I didn't necessarily have that many bubbly nurses precept me. They were all very, very scary. So I thought it would be good. So I always precepted students and new grad nurses. And I remember one time I saw this clinical instructor come into the hospital and I started talking to her. I asked her about her job and I thought, okay, I'm doing this for one student or one new grad nurse once in a blue moon when they come in. But I wonder what her job is like. So she told me about it and she said she brings them to clinical and she helps them with skills and goes over things that they've talked about in theory. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. I should do this on the side as I'm working at the VA. And I actually did. So for a few months, and that didn't lead to the burnout just because that was once a week clinicals. <laughs> um, but I, I love doing multiple things at once. Um, so a lot of my jobs, jobs have overlapped. I never just had one job just because I can't, as we, as I mentioned to you guys, I have too many interests. So um, I spoke with her. I loved it. Um, and she told me about a school, American career college that she was working at, which she was actually getting ready to retire. So I thought this is fantastic. 
Um, so I went on their website, they were accepting applications. I applied and I didn't for the life of me think I was going to get the position to be honest with you guys, because I had only two years of nursing experience under my belt. And as a nursing instructor, you need way more. So they called me in for an interview and I went to the interview and it was the director of nursing and her assistant and some other very high up person, all of them probably like 40 plus years older than me. So I'm at, at first very intimidated because I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how this is going to go. But I thought, oh, whatever, let's just do it. I love teaching. Let's just talk to them. So I talked to them and I got home and I had an email that they offered me the job, which was amazing. And the director was so adorable and I'm still actually in touch with her. She doesn't work there anymore. And I barely work there because of um, COVID. Like I actually don't go into the office and campus anymore, but we still have a really good relationship. And I remember I asked her a month after I got hired, I said, why did you hire me? Um, I don't have that much nursing experience. And she's like, you had this passion of teaching and sharing your knowledge that I thought this would be amazing for our nursing students to experience. So I started out as a clinical instructor where I would take about 10 to 12 students per clinical to their clinical sites for 12 hours a day. It was literally similar to a nursing shift. And we would, each student would go into their patient charts. They would pick a patient. I would get report from them, just a very simple, like, okay, who do you have? Um, and then throughout the day, we would prioritize what meds should be given when and things of that sort. And obviously I had to be there with all of them to do all these things, right? Starting lines and checking vitals, depending on what class level they were in. Um, but I really, really liked it because one, I was getting my patient fix because I would get to go into all the patient rooms, you know, and talk to the patients and the students got to actually see how you can break the ice with patients. Cause I remember in the beginning when I was a nurse, I was so afraid to go into patients rooms. I remember my first patient, my instructor was like, go, go do his vital signs. And I was just like frozen there. I was like, what do I tell him? You know, like, what do we even talk about? And so I wanted to help other students get over that. And I did, and I loved it. Um, and then after I did clinicals, for a few terms, then the director asked me to also teach theory because apparently all the students were telling her, we like how Camelia teaches, please make her a theory. I personally prefer working in clinical because I'm moving around. Um, with theory, you have to be at home or in the office prepping for about maybe 16 to 20 hours per week for lecture and then lecturing and then grading quizzes and things of that sort, which I don't mind. Um, but again, I prefer clinical because you're moving around and it's a longer day and there's just more involved. That's so interesting. Yeah, it seems like you you got like that teacher spirit in you. Is that kind of why you're looking towards to do like holistic health coaching as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially with my public health health background, I went into that because so with my chemical biology or biochem background, I learned things on a micro level and I did research, so I understood how things actually work in real life on a micro level. Then I did nursing and I was like, Oh, this is great. We care for patients and we make them better. And then I thought, okay, how do we put the micro and the care together to educate patients. And that's how I actually came about public health. Um, and my emphasis was on community education. And you actually get to talk about what things raise your blood pressure, what things you should eat and not eat. So it's not so much on the micro level, it's more on the level of actually, I'm gonna tell you something that you're gonna understand in very, very simple terms. You know, like salt is almost in everything and it's gonna raise your blood pressure. And I love teaching people about these things because my passion is just helping people live their best life you know, and I want them to be happy and healthy. And however I can do that, I'm willing to do it. And that's why I feel like I studied biochem because I just loved biochem, but I didn't know what the applications of it were going to be. And that's why after a few years, I was like, this is not for me. I love it. I'm glad I did it for a few years, but I love being around patients. I love being around humans. I love helping them directly. 
I'm not into making drugs for them to make them feel better, you know, which is what I would probably be doing with my biochem background. Um, so I just, I love talking to people and being around people. And I feel like with the public health, I can definitely help with that. Yeah, that's why it's so important to like kind of pursue like multiple interests because you're not really, really sure what you're going to like. You did the biochem because you thought it was a good idea. You thought you're going to enjoy it. But then like the application purpose, purpose of it didn't really, really fit your need. And like, that's why you shouldn't really at, at, as an early nurse or like somebody in college or early on in your life, you shouldn't dive completely deep into like one thing because that interest might change. You know, you, like you still have your whole life to live. And like I said, your interest might change and you might end up not liking what you started. So I, I'm a high believer in like pursuing multiple passions that way you kind of fit into a niche. And sometimes, you know, and this also allows you to do multiple things at, at one point or one time, like you could do nursing and you could be, be a teacher. You could, you could do two or things at, at the same time. And it's completely fine. And it makes things more enjoyable. Like you could go from doing night shift to teaching clinical and you might enjoy both of those and you know, it'll, it'll work out. So instead of like pursuing one thing that you might not end up doing for the rest of your life, that makes kind of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I like how you mentioned that too. And like being raised from the previous generation, me and Peter are both Polish, by the way, and our parents were raised during communism times. And you have to give a, a piece of note to somebody and they give you two pounds of meat for the month. So like they're raised very like scared. They're raised with scarcity and um, them, like my grandma gives me advice. Why are you leaving? Why are you going travel nurse? You have a good job. Like you're getting paid good money. Like they're very scarce. And they would hold on to one job for 30 years. And they would just do that because that's all they had back then. So it's kind of cool how this generation is a complete flip-flop and we're pursuing multiple interests and how it's important to, yeah, you know, you don't know what you might like. Like we're experienced, you know, experimenting with podcasting and nursing and then all this little stuff. So everybody that's listening out there, try different things, guys, right? That's like the name of the game. And the question I had, because you guys are having good conversation, when it comes to seeing nursing students, and we all had this little trauma of like, I was, I was like standing nine feet away from the nurse's station. I got freaking shoved into the nurse's station. Hey, you know, my name is Matt. I'm a nursing student. Like, <laughs> fuck, man. I just, I'm laughing about just thinking about that. What's like some piece of advice that you would give to a nursing student right now? Just like, just being an instructor and seeing all this. That, that's a really good question <laughs> because before I start any clinical, um, our first day, I take literally half the day, like about six hours. And we do um, this thing of basically a journey within to go inside and see why you want to be a nurse. A lot of people, sadly, to this day, they want to do it for the money and that it's going to be a little bit harder to motivate them because it's hard to talk to people when you don't know them, you know, and you're not motivated necessarily to like help them as much as you should. Um, but for the people who want to help or they're doing it because their mother had cancer or their father had some condition or they're doing it because they were impacted by amazing nurses or one of their loved ones were, were sick, um, I would just say keep remembering why you're doing this. Like remember the why. Why did you start? Why did you go through the whole application process? Why did you toughen it out to get from the first class to the second class? Um, you know, um, and I think that just helps a lot. And just remember that you're doing your best. It's okay to be shy in the beginning. We were all shy in the beginning. You know, and as I mentioned, I didn't want to go in my first patient's room and I'll never forget him for that because I remember he was trying to have small talk with me. You know, I was shaking so much. And when I had the stethoscope pieces in my ears, I was hearing my own heartbeat, you know, and then I learned how you gauge the blood pressure. And I thought, his blood pressure is very different than like what I'm actually hearing because there was just like my own heart rate and his heart rate. It was just, it was insane. 
but we're all nervous in the beginning. You just need to know that you're doing the best you can and just trust in your abilities. And I think the more you know, the more confident you'll be. So I always tell my students, whatever you learn in theory, you need to know it really well before you come into clinical. Clinical is not a place to kind of try to understand what blood pressure means when they talked about it in theory. You know, clinical is forgetting the numbers and learning how to get the numbers and then deciphering what that means, right? But actually understanding how blood pressure works, you need to understand that in theory or at home, you know, or even tying a tourniquet around the patient's arm. You need to practice that at home and then come and practice at the hospital. So I always tell them, if you're ready, you'll be more confident. And even though you might be inserting your first ever Foley in a patient, yes, you're going to be nervous. But if you've practiced enough in your head and you've said it a gazillion times and you've been through all the steps in your head, your nerves are going to decrease when you go in. And that always works. I had patients who come in who don't know what they're doing and they've heard of a Foley in class, but they didn't pay attention. And then I have ones who I tell them, think the processes in your car, think it before you go to bed, think it when you brush your teeth, because that's how I did it, you know? And it really worked for me. And then they come back and they're like, oh my God, thank you so much, Camelia. It totally worked. We sounded like a crazy person just repeating these things to ourselves a million times a day, but we feel confident now that we're with the patients. I like, I like how you mention it. I feel like we go into fight or flight so often from stress and that carries over to as a nurse, because sometimes I have to catch myself like Matt, like take a deep breath, start freaking thinking. And usually once you start like, you know, you get a patient from OR, this patient is bleeding, they need blood. You start, you start getting into that fight or flight response and your vision and your mind just narrows and you start, you, you start forgetting to think. And it's really important, just like you mentioned, yeah, it's confidence. It's doing that little time on the side to prep up for the actual time that you're in clinical and things like that. Exactly. And it's like repetition too. Like, like you said, the whole like studying theory and stuff, it's all repetition. Like, like your brain is also muscle. Like the more times you look at it, the more times you read it, the more times you study it, the better you're going to be able to, to remember it. And with like the nerves, like I've been doing it the same, I've been on the same unit for three years and I still never just want to come to work sometimes. Like those nerves are, they're always going to be there, you know, because sometimes you just don't know, don't know what to expect. You don't become, at least I didn't become very confident in myself as a nurse up until like maybe two, two and a half years of actually doing nursing. Because everything is, everything is different, even though the person comes with the, with this, with the same illness, the treatment modalities might be a little different. And you just, you just don't know, like a patient deteriorates real quickly, especially in the ICU and you just... Like those nerves are always going to be there. You just kind of have to embrace that they're always going to be there and almost like, like, like hone in on them and not let it hold you back. You just have to learn how to overcome those. And, and the best way to do it is to just be nervous more and then eventually like those nerves aren't going to be as, as strong as they, they were before. Absolutely. I totally agree. It just takes time. And for some, it takes two and a half years. For some, it takes three years. For some, it takes a year and a half. But for all of us, it takes time. None of us graduated from nursing school and just like showed up to the hospital and we're like, we're super confident. We're Superman or Superwoman. That never happened for anybody. I've never heard of a single nurse saying that. So I think just students keeping that in mind will definitely help. It's like the stigma since it's May and we're, you know, our little product is coming out the NCLEX guide. What about like the NCLEX? Don't you feel like it was like this giant monster for two damn years that just scaring you day by day in nursing school and then you kind of have to just face your demons and that anxiety is just built up from two years of people telling you how bad this test is and like fudge man that feeling when you get out of that damn test and you pass like that feeling is like unheard of right yeah and i'm so i'm, I'm glad you brought this up because i actually didn't pass my nclex the first time around and it was such a disappointment for me because i had always been an a student through all my three degrees 
And even classes that I had taken outside of my degrees, I was always getting A's. I was always the best student in the class, or even if I wasn't the best, best, highest grade, I was the next best. Um, so to not pass, I, I literally felt like a failure at the moment, right? Because as you mentioned, you come out and you're just, you, you freaking feel defeated and you're like, what the hell was this? I studied for two years and then I studied my butt off with all these other classes and tests and HESI books and whatever I could find. And I didn't pass. Like I, I'm probably not cut out to be a nurse. And I remember I had been stressing about it so much that when the test came the first time around, I went into the test room and I was so nervous that every inch of my body was shaking. And I was sitting there constantly looking at the timer, looking at which question it was, reading the questions 50 times because I was so anxious that my brain wasn't functioning. I was literally in fight or flight mode. You know, I wasn't in, okay, I got this. Let's take it and see how it goes. There was none of that. It was just like, Camelia, hurry. What if you don't pass? What if the minutes run out? What if the questions run out? And I constantly kept gauging question to question the computer adaptability of it. I kept thinking, is this one harder than the one before? I mean, you, you can't think that way when you're trying to like save a patient answering the question, right? So that really got to me and that's why I didn't pass. So I remember after that, I was so devastated. I literally took a trip for two weeks um, and I just went to the East Coast and I visited my friends that were really close to me that I didn't feel like they would judge me if I told them I didn't pass. And so I took some time off. And when I came back, I was like, you really want to do this. You don't want to just go through two years of nursing school and not become a nurse because of this ridiculous test that everybody makes it into a monster. And the first time around, I had taken a Kaplan course, which our school suggested. Kaplan worked for so many of my classmates, but it didn't work for me because my learning style is doing questions. And I think it's just more exciting to do questions. So that would keep my energy up. You know, so I decided to sign up for one of these classes that I actually found on the Board of Registered Nursing, where they would give you an option for either doing tests for three weeks, five weeks, seven weeks, something of that sort. And because I had a very short attention span, I decided to sign up for the three weeks one. And this was probably like a good six months later, right? Because I, I needed some time to get over the, oh, I'm such a failure. <laughs> so I got over that, did the tests. 12 hours a day, I was literally doing tests. And I loved it because it was so much fun. I was doing tests, reading rationales, doing tests, reading rationales. Whether I got it right or wrong, I was still checking out the rationales. And the second time around when I went in, I had the upper hand of knowing exactly what the test was going to be like. I booked my test at the same exact site. So the computer system was familiar. I wasn't getting in my own head anymore because I had done so many questions that the day that I was taking the NCLEX for the second time was just like another day you know, just like another practice day where I would get my smoothie, sit in my chair, play with my bunny. I have a pet bunny and just take tests, you know? So it was literally in my comfort zone and I passed. It stopped at 80 questions. Sometimes people are like, oh, if it stops at 75, you did amazing, blah, blah, blah. Um, stopped at 80. I remember it. And I remember coming out of there just bawling. A part of me was like, I think I passed. The other part was like, holy beep. That was so just <laughs> draining, you know? But um, it, it's definitely insane how people turn it into this monster because it should be just like any other test you take. And again, going back to what I was saying about clinicals and nursing students, if you're constantly practicing and it's a test, so I don't understand why people just go and study their books all over again, because you need to know how to take the test. And for me, the test was psyching me out the first time. And I know that happens for so many people. It's not that you don't know the content. We know the content, you know? So I feel like if people just do tests, as many as they need, for me, three weeks was enough. Um, but they have courses that go as long as like 13 weeks, I think. 
for me, I was afraid that I was going to forget some of the stuff if I honestly did 13 weeks. So I think if people just practice enough, then the nerves will be calmed a little bit, you know, and again, it'll be like any other day. Right. Yeah. Now thinking back on like, you're talking about like you're engaging each question is it harder or easier than the previous one. I was doing the same exact thing. I was like, this one seems a little, a little harder. So I must be doing good. This was actually really easy. Like, where am I fucking up on? And then yeah. I, I, yeah, I did luxury of taking Kaplan and I also use uh, UWorld. Kaplan, mm-hmm. I did not like at all because they made it, they focused it more on strategically breaking down a question and answering, answering it in a strategic kind of manner, not yeah. really knowing the content. And that was not for me. I'm like, how is it going to help me in life? Like, like this is going to be of no benefit after I do this exam. Like Kaplan, Kaplan is teaching me how to decipher these questions and see what they need. So even though I did it because it was required, I actually benefited more from UWorld than a question bank. So I did the full question bank of like 3,000 questions. It gave you all the rationales. And I literally did, did all those questions before I did my, did my NCLEX. And then I, I passed fine. But the Kaplan, I found minimal to no, to no benefit. Like I don't care how strategic to break down this damn question. All I wanted is to know what, what, I got, what I have to know and how it's going to be worded. And that's, that worked for me. And like I'm a proponent for C's get degrees because I was always a C student in, in, my, in my life. And I did pass the NCLEX with 75 questions on my first time so I just just wanted to make that known to everybody in this in this podcast we we don't have to be like you Camila and get straight A's you know Um, I honestly think it doesn't matter though because I have seen C well yeah C as in like passing because in our school it had to be over 75 percent you couldn't get lower than 75 but I've seen nurses who got 75 percent pass the NCLEX on their first round so I don't think it has if, if you know your knowledge I think as you mentioned Peter it literally goes back to you doing tests, you know, and I, I really don't know how Kaplan worked for some of my friends because I found yeah, it either. completely useless too. It literally, I remember sitting there and I have a photo of all of us taking naps. There was four of us sitting in a row and the instructor is talking and we, one of my friends snapped a photo and we're all like, just like sliding in our chairs thinking this is so boring. We're paying for this and we're not getting anything out of it. It was such a waste of time, in my opinion. Sorry, Kaplan. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I think because being Matt made a study guide, I think our study guides are going to be better than, better than Kaplan, whatever they're doing. The only thing I like about Kaplan is they provide us with free lunch. That was, that was solid. That was we didn't get free lunch. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, we did. <laughs> we missed out. <laughs> yes. I, I like, so I'm going to kind of wrap this idea up. You guys were mentioning how these, how you know the content, you just got afraid, right? And actually something I want to do on the side when I, I'm going to take a two month break from nursing next month. And I'm just going to focus on this myself, family. And also I want to do a little bit of coaching myself. And what we were experiencing before this whole NCLEX thing is the analytical mind. And you get into those, those little dark holes of thinking, am I good enough? Um, Is this the right question? How much time do I have? And you just start analyzing the NCLEX itself and also yourself, you know? And that's why these meditation retreats are so good sometimes. And you mentioned after that, you kind of decided to say, hey, I'm going to freaking shave this side of the hair, right? You yes. stop, <laughs> you, 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 you silence that governor that tells you you're not good enough. And it stops those self-limiting beliefs. And that's when you start getting into more of that present moment. And you start doing things that you want to because it's aligning with your intuition. Now with the analytical mind that's feeding you constant negative feedback loops, you know? Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the um, self-limiting beliefs. I'm a huge proponent of that existing and people being aware of what those are. Because so many times, I remember I told you guys, um, in the first day of clinicals, I have my students do uh, internal work where they go dig inside. One of the questions is actually, what are your self-limiting beliefs? And for a lot of people, it's their first time they're hearing that, you know, and then I give them examples. I tell them, for me, I always thought I was too young. 
to do this, that, or the other. For example, I, I interviewed for the nursing instructor position, but in my head, I was like, I'm not going to get this. I'm too young, you know, but the director saw something with her experience and she was like, she's going to be a good instructor. So, but that was kind of by luck, I feel like, because a lot of times when you do have those self-limiting beliefs, they hold you back, you know, and there have been times where I haven't applied to certain jobs because it said I needed five years of experience and I only had two, right? But who knows, maybe if I had applied, I would have gotten the interview and maybe I would have gotten the job. Um, or a lot of people think, oh, I'm too old. I'm, I'm too old to be in nursing school. I had a super, super dedicated patient who was 69 years old and he would commute two hours to class and two hours home and then have a 12 hour clinical as well. I mean, that's just insane dedication to me, you know? And then I would have other students who would be 50 and they would think they're too old. So um, I think it's very important to know what those are and to tackle them head on and think, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not too old, I'm not too young. This is what I am. I want to be a good nurse, a safe nurse, and I'm going to go for it. Even if it takes taking that influx three times, you know? Yeah, like the mental barrier is like the hardest probably thing, thing to get past because like, when it's in your head, it's nowhere near like reality. You know, it's, it's not brought to life. Like you can't always judge yourself and you can't always judge what you're capable of without first bringing it into, into like a physical, a physical sense or into reality. Because in, in your head, you can do anything in your head. You, you can fly in, in your head, you know, but you can't really bring, bring that to reality. That's why it's crazy how your kind of brain works. It kind of holds us back. And I'm not sure if this is like an instinct that was, that it was beneficial at some point, you know, prehistorically wise. But, you know, you can't judge yourself just by basically having that thought in your head or that action in your head. You actually got to experiment and try it in, in like real life. Just, just like you said, if you had learned up, you didn't think you'd get the job, you applied, hey, you got it anyways. Yeah. Like imagine if, if you just said, no, I'm, I'm not good enough. It's whatever. I'll try something else. And yeah. you know, then you, you keep telling yourself that you keep telling yourself that and nothing ever comes to reality. Nothing ever comes your way. And people would say, I'm not a big person of, of luck or, or bad luck, but people would say, oh, I have the worst luck. It's like, no, you don't really have the worst luck. It's just like you have such good ideas. You have all, all these plans and you get overwhelmed in your head. Then when you try to do them all at the same time, they all go to shit because, hey, why don't you just do one thing at a time and you know, experiment that way instead of being overwhelmed in your head and then trying to say, fuck it, I'm going to do all of them. And you do all of them and you kind of screw yourself because you're taking on too much on your plate at that point. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes on the good days where I don't let my self-limiting beliefs lead, you know, um, those are the days where I think, okay, too young, too baby-faced, too like, not experienced, whatever, but what do you have to lose? Apply anyway, take the test anyway, reach out to this person anyway, start the podcast anyway, start the business anyway, because what's the worst that can happen? It could either really take off and go really well, or just you're back to where you started, right? Yeah. But at least now you have the experience of having started the podcast, the business, the whatever. So now you're actually a little bit ahead than where you were before. Before you were at zero, maybe now if you work you'd work towards it and it doesn't go anywhere. Now you're at like a 30, right? Because you've gained experience through that. Exactly. And people put a lot of emphasis on like age. It's like, Hey, if I finish school, I'm going to be 45. It's like, yeah, but it can be 45 anyways. You know, so yeah. you can't, you can't always, always do that age. And technically according to my scale, I'm, I'm 24. So technically I have an extra year of, of life that I have to plan for now. Cause I guess I'm such a healthy ind individual, but, but yeah, Matt, you have something to say. I'm just, I was just kind of thinking that's like something that, um, you know, Newton's first law, law of inertia, like you, just like you guys are saying, it takes at first a lot of energy to push the ball and push the giant boulder rock. But once you push it and you created that action, it's going to be so much easier to continue because you're already taking the path of least resistance. And that rock is already kind of being pushed with, um, 
with uh, gravity, correct? Or is it velocity? Who knows? I don't remember it, <laughs> but yeah. to that detail. <laughs> yeah. I'm not very, I'm not very familiar with the moon's laws. It accelerates. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just looked like I knew what I was talking about at one point, right? You did. Yeah, that, okay. <laughs> you, you yeah. You just kept going. You just, you just kept using some, some big words. We'd be like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mass times volume because gravity. Yeah, bro. I, I just gotta be. I just gotta tell you guys the truth, man. I knew all that up until the point of what's pushing the rock. Is it velocity? <laughs> I think it was gravity. gravity. I think I think gravity because you build velocity with gravity and some other stuff. But you have to you push gravity. it with force. No, this is bad. Well, I should. Remember well, this. no, because I'm if you have if you're rolling down the hill, you don't need any kind of push force. Oh yeah, yeah, that's gravity, true. It's know? going down. The, the hill. The, it depends where this rock is going and what the surface is. I, I think gravel might be a little slower. If it's flat road, it should be good. You know. Damn, PD, you're so funny, man. It's got, we lost our train of thought here, but good. good um, t- I'm trying do to. Do you know Newton's second law? No, I don't. What is it? <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't remember <laughs> it either. Yeah. So, you have a degree in mass, master's in public health, correct? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about like public health, like prevention medicine? Like in America, we don't do much of it, correct? Like, what have you learned? to give us like more insight into like the public health sector that we're not aware of. Cause we don't, um, we only need the technical community and most nurses community for six months, whatever semester is, geez, I'm blanking out now. And that's <laughs> it. That's all we know about public health. I think get having that small public health class in nursing school was nowhere near enough for me to grasp what public health was about. So I'm so glad that I did the masters because it was actually two years of diving deep into how we can help the community um, become healthier in the sense of preventing disease and promoting health. And that goes back to what I was mentioning about salts, for example, salts and everything, right? So you touch on a little bit of everything with respect to health and how to communicate it to people. You don't go as deep into health as much as nurses and doctors do, but you do know enough that salt increases BP, you know? So I really liked getting that degree and being in grad school for public health, just because we did a few projects where we would have to do a windshield survey for the problem that we wanted to solve. So for example, if there was a community that we would go to and see that there are too many fast food restaurants around, we would try to come up with a plan and a policy to how we can, to see how we can get people involved to not consume as much fast food, even though it is there or a community that had too many liquor stores at every corner, you know, um, surveying people, seeing how many of them drink how many alcohols a day, and then basically writing a 400-page paper, um, starting from the basis, going all the way to the details of this is what I would plan for this community, you know, and building, for example, more parks or more green, uh, clean, safe sidewalks for people to actually get out and walk, you know, and exercise. So um, it helped a lot. And I, as I mentioned, I feel like in nursing school, they don't even touch on it nearly enough. And I got my MPH in 2013? 2013. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it was such a long time ago. Um, and now I was actually a few days ago looking at the same curri- at my school's curriculum for their public health degree. And I realized they've added so many holistic health classes in it that I never got to have. Um, because now they're realizing that it's not just, okay, let's remove the fast food stores or restaurants and the liquor stores and make more parks. It's actually, how do we change the mindset? of people to walk past the McDonald's and say, I don't want to eat McDonald's. I'll go with the same few bucks, buy something that's healthier and delicious, you know? 
um, and also meditation being in there, exercise, stretching, um, taking time for self-care, all that stuff. You know, I didn't learn that in public health. I just learned it over time because I was interested in it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely been very, very beneficial. And I've done a lot of health and wellness seminars with that. And I've even done like healthy cooking classes for people who are really busy, like lawyers and doctors and things of that sort. And they all really appreciate it. And even though these are highly educated people, I feel like the things that I'm saying to them in layman's terms, they appreciate so much like, oh my God, I never thought I could actually like stretch my arms behind my back when I'm sitting and working at the computer. And then they go home with like clenched backs and just like excruciating headaches. So it's about basically helping everybody be their healthiest self so that they can also help others, their family and their loved ones be healthy. Yeah, it's crazy to think about because like when you think of something that's like a, a core in like good health, it's, it's prevention. You know, let's, let's not worry about treating it, let's worry about you not developing it. And that's mm -hmm. the one thing that education and nursing school completely misses. Yeah. Like, you know, we got to do certain things so we do not end up in a certain state. Like if you don't want diabetes, then you have to, you know, watch your sugar intake, watch your carbs. And it's literally like what, like one semester or one quarter is on health prevention and, and like community health. It's, it's too little. Like why is, why do we focus so much on pharmacy and on, on, on medicine? Yeah. It's our job to like do like deal with drugs and administer these drugs, but we, there's, isn't really like a big focus on prevention. And that's like literally the key to good health is, is prevention. And I'm not sure if it, like the pharmaceutical companies, have a grasp on nursing edu education, but it's never prevention. It's always like learn this medication. This is new medication Conspiracy. that came out. <laughs> exactly. This, this, yeah, this is the medication that came out. This is what we're, this is the current treatment modality. Research shows that this medication is the, is the, is the best for, for this disease, but it's never like, hey, let's help you not catch this disease or help you not develop disease and not develop these, these bad habits. Because like Matt mentioned before in one of our episodes, like, like COVID has killed a lot of people, but you know, what about the 3000 plus for that diabetes every day? Like we don't, you know, we don't blame the sugar industry for this. We don't blame cigarettes. Like look, at, look at cigarettes. They've been, they literally have warnings on the damn thing they're just telling you that you're going to die if you smoke this. And everyone in Congress is completely silent about this. Nobody battles the tobacco company because they got so much money, but here goes prevention or here goes COVID. It's, it's a big fucking deal, you know? And I think it's mostly because people, meaning cigarette companies, pharmaceuticals, they don't really care about people's health. They really don't. Um, think about everybody who makes liquor. I mean, if you want to make it at home and enjoy it yourself, I'm totally okay with that. Enjoy it whenever you want. But the fact that it gets sold so just, there's so much of it, you know, and all over the place and people can purchase it so easily. That just tells me that people's livers for alcohol, their lungs for vaping and for cigarettes, and then uh, sugar, all these sugary substances, sodas, everything that's packed with carbs, you know, and people just don't know about it. So getting diabetes, getting like all sorts of conditions, if people are actually educated in it, I think they, they would steer away from it. And other companies who make these things, they just care about money because they want their company to survive, right? They, they've made this company. Now, if people aren't addicted to it, if there isn't enough sugar in it to addict people, then what's going to happen? They're going to go out of business, right? But I feel like not just in nursing school. I feel like they should start teaching about public health at a very, very young age. Like I wish I knew about this stuff when I was in elementary school where somebody would bring actual grams of sugar and say, oh, there is like 40 grams of sugar in this one can of Coke. And this is the can of Coke. Like, is, do you understand that this is how much sugar you're drinking? You know, um, I remember drinking soda because my parents used to drink soda. And then after a while I was like, this is so sweet that I can't enjoy the taste of food. Yeah. So over time I just steered away and I was like, I just want the bubbles so I can just drink sparkling water. And that was that, you know, Same. but 
my father, for example, still drinks soda. And no matter how much I explain it to him, I feel like it's just like in his DNA <laughs> that I need this sugar and it's kind of addictive, you know? So yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy how like we watch TV and we see the commercial for a pill and it's people being happy and playing around. And it's like, they're telling us, Hey, the pill is the answer. It'll make you happy. Subconscious programming. Right. And look with, look with what's going on with COVID. I didn't hear one damn CNN Fox slash who the hell knows reporters say, Oh guys, this is how you boost your immune system. Hey, you should be exercising to decrease your chance of getting COVID or eating healthy apples, oranges, None of that shit's being covered. It's just fear, fear, fear. Stay home, stay home. And the stuff that's actually going to make us healthier and boost your immune system, that's not even talked about. Like, what's going on? Like, there's definitely like some kind of, I don't want to talk about conspiracies because you guys mentioned like pharmaceuticals. There's, there's like a deep, dark agenda. And like kicking it back to like nursing students, if we're not teaching nursing students why prevention is important, they're, they're going to be doing bedside care, just telling the patient, hey, take the pill because it's going to help you with this. You know, I'm one of those nurses that are like, Hey, yes, you're, you know, you're on metformin, but Hey, let's do diet. Let's lose some weight. Hey, do you know how to track carbs? And they're always so thankful for me. And I'm always just like, I'm just doing my damn job. I'm doing I'm teaching you prevention medicine and it's definitely lost in healthcare. And we, as a nursing profession, we should stand up for that and start teaching patients because the lack of education is a big reason why we're having such damn issues in healthcare with like poverty, whatever, you know, education is, I feel like number one in the, in the, in the list of what we should tackle. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. It's not even like, like health. Like if people are, but with a good, good education, that just leads them up for like a higher um, rate of success because I mean, out of Chicago and our school system is not the best, especially like the, the West side of, of, of Chicago. And that's one I mean, this has nothing to do with healthcare, but I guess like this is when people go into gangs and because of lack of education, a poor school system, uh, lack of father figures. And then now you throw in this like no prevention in healthcare. That's why these people are, you know, shooting each other. It's why people, why people are, are, are obese in their thirties is because they have a lack of education all around. It's not just healthcare. It's also has to do with, do with schools, do with uh, the, the community. It's, it's just bad. Like in certain places, it's, it's really sad to look at in Chicago, like, I know we had Oakland, which we went to see like a, we were next to a tent village and that, and that was bad to see, but like seeing kids grow up in like uneducated families and they kind of, they, the thing is, thing is like, if your parents are uned, uneducated, it's really hard for that child to, to build success. Like luckily for, for us, my parents or our parents came to America and we were kind of raised on a school system. Like our Matt's parents, and my parents were very big on, Hey, you got to go to school, get your, get your degree. But in Poland, they, they just did high school and then they became farmers. There was no really future for them besides this, this, this farming because we're up in a little village. And same here, in certain places in Chicago, there's nothing to live for except the streets because school sucks. Nobody wants, wants to fund it. The only reason they go to school is, is to get a meal and nobody else, else really cares about them because it's such a bad neighborhood. Nobody wants to even, even go inside it. And you kind of live, live off the streets and you kind of get born into the streets. There's really nothing else for you to do. To do. And that's why drug and crime are so big. And yeah. who's honking over there, Matt? <laughs> I don't think it's that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, it's, no, it's, it's okay. Cause it's usually, it's usually Matt because Matt lives in a very busy neighborhood. So I talk a little I, shit sometimes. I live, I live, yeah, I live a block away from Venice and it's just oh, like wow. there's always somebody screaming cops and 
Um, I'm seeing homeless people too, you know, like around the area, just like you mentioned and poverty. And it's interesting because it's cool if the government is big and gives you a check for 1200 bucks or like in Oakland, we mentioned they get 800 bucks. But if you don't have the proper education, what are you going to do with that money? You're just going to go back to the routine and the programming that you've been doing, which is buying some liquor, buying cigarettes and, you know, catching a quick dopamine fix for a quick happiness instead of actually doing concrete things to improving your life. Right. Exactly. Okay. You guys want to end it at that? Key takeaway here, guys. Prevention is important. <laughs> I was actually trying to ask you one last thing. What is one thing that inspires you right now? For me, what inspires me all the time is to be able to help people feel better. And that means mentally, physically, emotionally, and that's why I put all of my degrees to good use with respect to the nursing, the public health. Now I want to get my holistic health certificate, the health coaching certificate, because I feel like health and health is basically such a holistic thing. It's not just, oh, I'm so fit, which means I'm so healthy. I, I don't think it's that. I think if somebody has, I think actually mental health is more important than physical health, because if you don't have the mental health, you probably can't do anything else. If you're too depressed to get out of bed, you can't even go to the gym. You can't work out at home. You can't drink enough cups of water. You can't have your salads instead of your unhealthy burgers and fries. So for me, that's my motivating factor on a daily basis. I mean, every sorry, I was speaking Farsi with you guys for a second. <laughs> when I get really passionate, Farsi words come out. Um, so for me in the morning when I wake up, it's literally, okay, how can I help people today? You know, and even I'm not, even though I'm not working at the hospital at the moment, it's just, how can I help today? Whether it be with an awesome post on Instagram to actually help motivate people or talk to a friend who's not feeling so well, check in on the friend who I think might be struggling with a little bit of depression and too much anxiety. Um, so yeah, that's basically the motivating factor. I, I like that. I like to wrap it up like that. So the motivation, the mantra is to help other people. And, you know, maybe somebody's listening to this right now, we know, wake up today and help somebody and see how feel good that feeling feels, you know? So guys, we're going to wrap this one up. Um, we had an awesome talk with um, Camelia and you could check her out on Instagram if you would like to at nurse.camelia and anywhere else we could find you. Uh, that's it for now. I'm, I'm also on Facebook, but I'm not that active. So Instagram it is. I'd use a way to go guys. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys. Bye.